following sermon, entitled Sarah's Laughter, was preached on the morning of September 18, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. We read God's Word this morning in the book of Genesis, first in chapter 18 and then in chapter 21. Let's begin by reading Genesis 18, the first 15 verses, noting especially stands at verse 12. Genesis 18, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. This is Abraham that we're talking about. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly. Three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd, and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk, and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? The Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not. For she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. And now let's turn to chapter 21. Chapter 21. We'll read the first eight verses. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. 
And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all he, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Thus far we read God's Word. The text for this morning's sermon consists of a verse from each chapter. First, chapter 18, verse 12. Chapter 18, verse 12. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And now we would like now we will contrast that to Genesis 21, verse 6. Genesis 21, verse 6. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. In these two verses, we have two very different laughs. To be sure, there are some similarities in that it's the same person laughing in both cases. It's Sarah, the wife of Abraham. What is more, it's the same Hebrew word, at least the same Hebrew root that's used in both cases. It's not a matter of two different words being used. And what is more, in both cases, this laughter is in connection with God's promise to give a son to Abraham and to Sarah. But in spite of those similarities between these two laughs, the reality is that they are completely different. Because as we'll see in the course of the sermon, the one laugh is a laughter of unbelief. When Sarah hears God reiterate His promise that she, in her old age, would bear a son, she thought there's no way. And so she laughed. In contrast, the second time she laughs, she does so having seen the fulfillment of that promise. She does so as one standing on the mountaintop of faith so that it's a laughter of joy. These are two different laughs. And this morning, we want to see what makes them distinct, what makes one, each one different because the, the differences between the two are instructive for us as a congregation. For in the one laugh, the laughter of unbelief, we are given to see our own lack of faith. And how often we too doubt God's promises. And in the other laughter, we're given reason to trust in our God and to join Sarah in laughing, even as she says will happen at the end of the text, so that all that hear me will laugh with me. So this morning we consider these two passages of Scripture using as our theme Sarah's laughter. Sarah's laughter. First, we're going to look at the 
laughter of unbelief. Second, at the laughter of joy. And then third and finally, laughter in Christ. In Genesis 21, the second passage that we read, there is a scene of joy as two parents hold in their arms a young son. As they embrace that child, there's gladness, there's happiness in their heart so that they laugh. But in order to understand that laughter in Genesis 21 and the joy that they experienced, we must remember that it was not always this way for Abraham and for Sarah. Because before this, there was a time of sorrow, pain, and grief. Their faith was not always as strong as it was in Genesis 21. But the reality is that there were many times of doubt and discouragement for Abraham and Sarah. And that had to do with the fact that they had to wait for the fulfillment of God's promise to them. God had indeed made many promises to them before Genesis 18 even. The heart and center of His promise was The promise, I will be your God and you will be My people. God had established His covenant with them and He had promised to protect them and preserve them accordingly. But now, in addition to that central promise, the promise of the covenant, God made additional promises. He promised, for example, that He would make of Abraham a great nation. He told Abraham that His Seed would be so many in number, they would be like the sand upon the seashore and like the stars in the sky. That is, God promised to Abraham a posterity. And He also promised him a possession. Because He promised to take that land in which Abraham was a pilgrim and a stranger and to give that land to His descendants. So that they would have it as their inheritance. It would be their property. He promised them him a possession. But now I trust you recognize, as Abraham and Sarah did, that before these other promises can be fulfilled, there's something that has to happen first. Namely, he has to have a son. In other words, before... His descendants can become a great nation. Before they can inherit the land, the first domino that has to fall is that Abraham and Sarah have to be given a child. And when we come to Genesis chapter 18, the first passage that we read, Abraham and Sarah still do not have a child. They've been waiting for 24 years at this point. Imagine the discouragement. Imagine the frustration. Month after month after month. Still no child. 288 times if you do the simple math of 24 years times 12 months in a year. 
Sarah was disappointed. Not this month. They had no child. And to be sure, Abraham had had a son with Hagar, Ishmael, but God had made very clear, that's not the son of promise. That's not the child that I'm going to continue my covenant with. And now at this point, when we come to Genesis chapter 18, the likelihood of having a son has gone from improbable to impossible. That's the point being made in Genesis 18 verse 11. Genesis 18 verse 11 says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. They were old. 99 years old and 89 years old, respectively. Nobody has a child at that age. But more than that, it was impossible for Sarah to have a child from a human point of view. The text says that it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. In other words, she's gone through menopause at this point. She no longer has her monthly cycle. It's impossible for her to become pregnant. And as for Abraham, the book of Hebrews tells us that at this point, he, he's as good as dead. He's impotent at this point of view so that from a, a human at this point of time, so that from a human point of view, it's not just improbable that they're going to have a child. It's impossible for them to have a child. And it's for that reason that when the Lord comes to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18 to reiterate His promise, part of us can understand why Sarah responds the way that she does. Beginning of chapter 18, God appears to Abraham. We read in verse 1, "...and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in his tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes, and lo, Three men stood by him. Verse 1 speaks of the Lord appearing. Verse 3 speaks of three men. When we take the two together, we recognize that one of these three men was the Lord Himself in the form of a man, appearing as a man. And more specifically, what we have here is what we call a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ Himself. Jehovah appears to Abraham, and he has a message for Abraham. He's going to reiterate the promise that he's already made the promise, You are going to have a son. That's what he says to Abraham in verse 10. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. God has already told this to Abraham, and now he's saying it again. And this time, in the hearing of his wife Sarah. Notice that in the text. Before he gives his message in verse 10, in verse 9 we read, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And now when the Lord asks, Where is Sarah? It's not because he's clueless as to her whereabouts. He knows full good and well she's in the tent. 
But he says that to get her attention. Likely, she's going about some busy work in the tent, paying no attention to the conversation outside between her husband and these three men. That is until she hears her name. And her ears prick up. She starts to pay attention. And it's at that point that the Lord speaks His promise so that Sarah could hear it. And verse 10 makes that explicit. The first half of verse 10 is the Lord saying, Sarah's going to have a son. And then the second half says, and Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. And her response? She laughed. Verse 12, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? At my age, after 24 years of barrenness and infertility. It's not possible for me to have a son. She laughed. And what we need to see this morning is that this was a laughter of unbelief. Of unbelief. That comes out in the passage in verses 13 and following, which is the follow-up of this, the Lord's response. After Sarah laughs, we read in verse 13, and the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is there is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. These verses really amount to a rebuke of Sarah. Why did she laugh? He's calling attention to her laughter. He's exposing that laughter for what it is. And in verse 14, he lays his finger on the heart of the issue when he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? For the Lord to say that in response to her laughter is telling us that Sarah doubted his ability to give her a son. This is a laughter of unbelief. And now that does not mean, obviously, that she had stopped being a believer for a period of time. This does not mean that she had lost her faith altogether. But that in this specific case, at this specific time, she failed to believe and to trust God as she ought to. She was evaluating and judging God's Word, His promise, based on the circumstances of her life. That is, she's setting her age and the state of her body in opposition to the Word and concluding it's not possible for me to have a child. She's only looking at things from a, a natural point of view. She's limiting God's power to her own sense and to her own understanding. So that really she's lost sight of 
His power and of His might. This is a laughter of unbelief. She did not believe. She did not trust. And are we not guilty of the same thing at times? There's a temptation for us to do this very thing. To evaluate and judge God's promises based on the circumstances of our lives. For God has indeed made many promises to us. Chief of them is that He's promised to forgive us our sins in the way of repentance and confession. More than that, He has promised that He'll give us His grace sufficient in times of trouble. He'll strengthen us and help us and cause us to stand. On top of that, God has promised that He's going to take everything that happens to us, everything in our lives, and He's going to use it all for our good, all for our salvation. Still more, God has promised the promise that's on the foreground this morning. He's promised to establish His covenant in the line of generations to gather His elect people from the children of believers. God has made promises. But we do not always believe. We do not always trust as we ought to. And insofar as we object, try to deny it, it's not true. I trust. I believe. Then God's Word comes to us this morning and says, nay, but thou didst laugh. You laughed the laugh of unbelief. When in your heart you thought there's no way God could forgive this sin. I've committed this sin one too many times. And I'm still so inclined, so prone to this sin. I, I don't think He could possibly forgive me again. Nay, but thou didst laugh. When in the midst of the trial you concluded, I don't think he really cares about me anymore. Perhaps God has abandoned me to myself at this point in life. Nay, but thou didst laugh. When you looked at What's going on? The circumstances of your life. The situation you find yourself in and you concluded, there's no possible way this could be for my good. This is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. I don't see how this could possibly serve my salvation. Nay, but thou didst laugh. When you doubted whether God could save your children, and we doubted whether He could preserve His church because of the, the wicked world in which we live and the increasing hostility toward the church. God makes promises. But our inclination, the temptation for us is to evaluate and to judge those promises based on our circumstances. 
So that we're walking by sight and not by faith. So that we're limiting God's power to our own sense and to our own understanding. We too are guilty of this same thing. Therefore, this morning we are to repent of our unbelief. And to pray to God, Lord, I believe. Help Thou my unbelief. We're to look to Him and to trust Him. Even as Sarah came to trust in God. For though in Genesis 18, we see a doubting Sarah, one who is filled with sorrow, in Genesis 21, we see her sorrow turned to joy, to use the language of John 16, verse 20. When we come to Genesis 21, we see that God caused her to laugh in an altogether different manner. It was a laughter of joy. That's what we want to see in the second place. The second laugh. A laughter of joy. But before we get to the laugh itself, we need to see that before God caused her to laugh, He first strengthened her faith. And that's evident from what we read in Hebrews 11, verse 11. Hebrews 11, verse 11, through faith, through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And now the idea of this verse is not that after Isaac is born, then she comes to believe and then she comes to trust. That's not the idea. Because that would be walking by sight and not walking by faith. Instead, the point of the verse is that before she ever conceived, before she ever becomes pregnant, she believed. She trusted. That is, she judged that God was faithful, able to make her to have a son. And that raises the question, well, what explains this? How does she go from doubt and unbelief to believing God's promise? Well, because of God's work in her heart and life by means of His Word in Genesis chapter 18. So if we back up to Genesis 18 again, we see the Lord at work in His interactions with her. And He does three things that we'll note very briefly. First, He rebukes her for her unbelief. We've already noted that when in verse 13 He says, The Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? The Lord's calling her out on what she had done. He's exposing her unbelief for what it is. And with the words that follow, He's rebuking her for it. But He doesn't stop there. Because secondly, He also reiterates the promise. Verse 10, He had spoken the promise. I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And now in verse 14, after the rebuke of Sarah, 
He says it again. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. God Himself is doubling down on His own promise. He's saying it's going to happen. And then He demonstrates His power to do so. That's the third thing He does. He rebukes her. He reiterates the promise. And then He demonstrates His power and ability to do so. Did you recognize that that's what He's doing here? In verse 13, we read Him saying, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? But that raises the question, how did He know? Because after all, He had, her back, he had His back to her when she laughed. That's verse 10. Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind Him. He has His back toward her and she's inside the tent. It's not that He saw her shake her head or roll her eyes. How does He know? And that question becomes all the more important when we recognize even if He had been facing her, there was nothing to see because the text tells us that Verse 12, that Sarah laughed within herself. This is something going on in her mind and in her heart. There's no visible expression of this. So how does he know? Because this is the Lord we're talking about. This is the all-seeing and all-knowing God of heaven and earth. The God of all might and the God of all power. There is nothing that's hid from Him. There's nothing that's beyond His understanding. There's nothing that's too hard for this God. And now when He points out her laughter and then when she denies it and He says, no, but you did laugh. He's showing her His power. He's showing her His ability to do whatsoever He pleaseth. And in these three ways, He's strengthening her faith. He's growing Sarah in this time. So that she does come to believe. She trusts that God is able to give her a child. And then she lived it. Faith led to action. And we say that in light of Hebrews 11, verse 11. Notice the wording, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. What does that mean? It means that in an act of faith, a 99 and 89-year-old couple went to the marriage bed together. 
to enjoy marital intimacy, trusting that God would use that to give them a child. And God did exactly that. He whom Sarah judged to be faithful proved Himself to be faithful. And that He gave them a child. That's Genesis 21, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as He had spoken, for she conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. This truly was a miraculous birth. I say truly because from a certain point of view, the birth of every single child is a a miracle when we consider all that has to happen, all that has to take place for that child to be born. But the birth of Isaac is a miracle in the truest sense of the word in that we have an 80, a 99 and an 89 year old couple giving birth. We have a husband who's as good as dead and a wife for whom it has ceased after the manner of women. And yet they have a son telling us that God worked in a miraculous way. He, he overcame all the, the natural hurdles and obstacles so that Sarah indeed had a child. God is proving. He's demonstrating there is nothing that's too hard for the Lord. And in doing this, He was keeping His promise. Scripture emphasizes that in Genesis 21, verse 1 and 2, when it says again and again, this happened just as the Lord said. Notice that. Genesis 21, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord visited Sarah as He had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as He had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. The Holy Spirit is shouting to us in these verses, do not miss this. This is not just another birth announcement. But this text is shouting, God kept His promise. He did exactly what He said He would do. He showed Himself to be faithful. And it was especially this. The faithfulness of God to His own promises that gave Sarah such joy. Because she laughs a second time now. That's Genesis 21, verse 6. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. To laugh. This is no laughter of unbelief. This is not a cynical laughter, but this is a laughter of joy and gladness. This is the laughter of rejoicing. And now, the question becomes, why? Why does she laugh now? A part of it is that she has a son. No doubt about it. There's joy and gladness for parents when God gives to them 
children of their own. And that's true with every child. Even when it's your seventh, still joy. And that was a part of it for Sarah. Especially because she had to wait so long. A special measure of joy for her, even as it is for you, Todd and Erica. You had to wait a long time. And now there's the laughter of joy. But though that's a part of what makes Sarah laugh here, it's not the main thing. The main thing is seeing God's faithfulness to His promise. And that comes out in the wording of the text. God hath made me to laugh. She's laughing because she's seeing the God of her salvation demonstrate His faithfulness. She's laughing with joy because she recognizes His power to do whatever He says He's going to do. She's laughing with joy because she's on the mountaintop of faith having seen God keep His promise. God made her to laugh. And she named the child accordingly. The name Isaac means laughter. And God Himself had told Abraham to name his son with this name exactly because of the joy that he and Sarah experienced in seeing God keep His promise. And for us as a congregation, we have that same joy in seeing God keep His promises. We see that we have that joy when we read passages such as this. When we see how God did that which was impossible from a human point of view, we rejoice when we turn to such passages of Scripture, especially because they make crystal clear that. God's promises do not depend on the strength of our faith. This passage demonstrates that God keeps His promises in spite of our unbelief. And the fact that He does so is cause for joy. It's cause for laughter. But not only do we have this joy and laughter when we read these types of passages of Scripture, but we have this when we see His faithfulness in our own lives. When we look back and recognize He did give me grace sufficient in the midst of that trial. He held me up by my right hand and led me through it. He has used this for my good. Though I did not always understand why, why did we have to wait as many years as we did for a child? Why did we have to go through this trial or for that, through that difficulty? In the time, I was clueless, but 
even before I get to heaven, already now I can look back and say, yes, God was using that for my good. He was faithful to His promise. And He's been faithful to His promise to continue His covenant in the line of generations. He's been faithful to this congregation in that regard. And then He's given us children. Not to all, but to many. And then He's taken those children and incorporated them into the body of Christ. He saved them. Not all of them, but many. God is showing Himself to be faithful to His promises. And that gives us added reason to trust Him. I say added reason because the very fact that God has spoken these promises is reason to believe. We're talking about the immutable God who cannot lie. When He speaks a promise, that promise is sure. It's reliable. And that's reason to believe. But now we have added reason to believe when we look back and we see God showing Himself to be faithful again and again and again in our lives and in the lives of those around us. He's given us every reason to trust Him. So do we? Do you? Do I? Let it not be that when we hear God, God's promises in His Word, that we laugh with unbelief, thinking, there's no way. But let us instead trust and cling to the promises of this God knowing that He will not allow even one to fail. Because there's nothing too hard for Him. And not only are we to trust, but we're to live accordingly. Abraham and Sarah's faith led to action. And may the same be true for us. God has promised us, I will continue My covenant in the line of generations. I will gather My elect people from the children of believers. And the response to that promise is not, well, God promised to save them. So now it does not really matter how I parent, what I do. I can sit back and do whatever. He promised it, therefore it's going to happen. That's not our attitude. But the attitude is, God has promised. And now, by faith, I'm going to instruct this child. I'm going to raise these children teaching them the truths of God's Word, pointing them to Jesus Christ all the while, trusting that God is going to use us as parents for the advantage and the salvation of our children. Weak means as we are. 
He'll overcome our weaknesses, our sins, our failures, and use us in spite of that. Because He made a promise. And if we have any doubts about God's faithfulness to His promise, then what we need is to look toward our Savior, Jesus Christ, and how God kept His promise to send Him. Because that especially gives us occasion to believe and to laugh the laughter of joy. That is, when we laugh in Christ. For you see, the central promise running throughout the entire Old Testament is God's promise to send the Messiah, to send a Savior to deliver us from our sin and misery. That was the promise in the very beginning. That was God's promise to Adam and to Eve immediately after their fall when God spoke to the serpent saying, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the mother promise. The promise of the Messiah. And when God makes His promises to Abraham, He's really reiterating that same promise. The promised seed of the woman because His promise to Abraham is that of Genesis 17, verse 7. And I will establish My covenant between Me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And now as reformed believers, we rightly apply this passage to the children of believers because we recognize a part of what God told Abraham is, I'm going to give you a posterity. Your Spiritual descendants are going to be as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of the sky in number. So there is application to the children of believers. That's really secondary. What's primary, what's first and foremost, is that this is a promise to send the Christ, the Messiah. And that's clear from Galatians chapter 3, which points out. The promise in Genesis 17, verse 7 is not to seeds as of many, plural, but seed, singular. And the seed is Christ. That's the promise being reiterated by God Himself. And it's the promise He keeps on repeating again and again and again. He made it to Adam and Eve. He made it to Abraham. And He's going to go on to say it in so many different ways. And he kept repeating it so often. Because from a human point of view at times, it looked as though it were impossible. There's no way God could keep this promise. It looked impossible here. In these chapters in the book of Genesis with Abraham and Sarah, and we've explained how it seemed impossible. But there are many other times in the history of God's covenant people that the same thing was true. It looked impossible when there was this seven-year famine 
And Jacob and his sons are running out of food to eat. Seems there's no way the line's going to continue. They're all going to die off in starvation. It looked impossible when wicked Queen Athaliah went on a killing rampage seeking to destroy the royal line of David. It looked impossible when God's people are carried away into captivity. They're made exiles. And it looked impossible especially when that line running from Adam and Eve to Abraham to David, that royal line was as good as dead. When it had ended with a virgin by the name of Mary. And thus it's no wonder that when God finally does send an angel announcing glad tidings to Zacharias, Zacharias, you and your wife are going to have a son. He's going to be the forerunner of the promised Messiah. It's really no surprise that Zacharias' response is the exact same as Sarah's. Unbelief. We are too old. But in spite of Zacharias' unbelief and the unbelief of so many others, God kept His promise. He kept that promise by preserving that line running from Adam and Eve to Abraham and from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and from Jacob all the way to David and from David to Mary. Though the devil was ever trying to destroy that line, God preserved it. And in the fullness of time, God sent the promised Son. And what a truly miraculous birth that was. Because it's one thing for an aged couple who are past the point of being able to have children to come together and to conceive and to have a son. But is it not something even more amazing? When a virgin gives birth without ever having known a man, And what is still more wonderful is that this child born to the Virgin Mary is certainly man, but at the same time, He's the Son of God in human flesh. It's the birth of Christ that's the true miracle. It's the greatest miracle of all the miracles. And because God kept that promise, Because He showed again there's nothing too hard for the Lord. We have reason to laugh. To rejoice. Because there's salvation in this Jesus Christ. Because having been born into this world, 
Our Savior took upon Himself our sins. And note well, that includes our unbelief. That includes all the times that we failed to trust God as we ought to. He took it all upon Himself as the sin-bearer. And with our sins upon Him, He became the man of sorrows. That is, He who had enjoyed eternal bliss, joy for all eternity with the Father and the Spirit, had His joy turned into sorrow. And that He became acquainted with our grief. And with our sins upon Him, He then went to the cross of Calvary to die on our behalf to endure the punishment we deserve. And now I can assure you, congregation, there was no laughter of joy for our Savior on that cross. Because the only thing He knew for three hours was that God had forsaken Him. The only thing He knew was God's wrath against Him as He experienced the agonies and the torments of hell so that instead of the laughter of joy, there was the weeping and gnashing of teeth. But now because He took that punishment for us, that means that God is just and righteous in forgiving us of our sins and our unbelief. And it's because of that, because of the salvation we have in Christ that we now rejoice. We now laugh. We laugh with a laugh of joy because we've seen God keep the central promise running throughout the whole of Scripture. We laugh with joy because we have the forgiveness of sins, that rich blessing from our God. And the wonder of this joy is that we have it regardless of our lot in life. So that whether we have children or no children, whether we are married or single or widowed, whether we have much or little, whether we're sick or whether we're healthy, we still have this. We still have salvation in Jesus Christ. And the joy of knowing and seeing that God kept the promise to send His Son to save us from our sins. So may we laugh with Sarah this morning even as she prophesied so many years ago. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word.
and for the joy that we have, the laughter even, knowing that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. Strengthen our faith and hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.